All right. I've had a cup of coffee. I've fed the cats. I've taken care of the wife. That means it must be time to record a podcast. So uh, there's just a lot. There's always a lot. And I say there's a lot. But you know what? There's a lot today. But we want to cover. We're going to take a break from our normal civics lesson. But first, a little bit of music. And I come right back. All right, so we got the music out of the way, and welcome back. I'm back. You're back. We're all back. Uh, Quick programming note, if you will. Apparently, when I switched on ads, I did not realize that Anchor would go back and add an ad to every single one of my previous podcasts. So that's not upsetting. Because I really want to open up with, thank you. Thanks to your listens, I have turned a profit. It is not much. We are currently sitting at four cents. That's 0.04 in case you're tracking of a dollar. However, that's huge for me. Because that proves that I could make money doing this, even if it's a little. I could do it. And so I am all about celebrating victories, no matter how small. So thank you. I'm going to get that out of the way. And I had made a claim in a previous podcast that I would not add to the ads, meaning I wouldn't go back and add them, but Anchor did that for me. So if you're listening to an old podcast and you hear me talking about Anchor, that that's Anchor um, helping me out there. So thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. On to the magic. Oh, so this week we had a bunch of cool things happen. And by a bunch of cool things, I mean a bunch of just really why... If someone tells you who they are, you should believe them kind of things happen this week. Um, One of them was that the House of Representatives voted on a bill called the Infant Formula Supplemental Appropriations Act of 2022. Um, It is known as H.R. 7790. And inside of this bill is a detailed description, but the name of the bill should be pretty obvious as to what it was for. And it was voted on in the House of Representatives, and it was shot up, meaning it was passed, on party lines, 221 to 203. Um, the 203 were all of the Republicans who voted against making sure that babies have formula. After they just had longest conversation with the country about why abortion should be made illegal and why women should not have the right to choose between having a baby, not having a baby after they've already become pregnant. They went on to state that uh, the right of parents to have access to formula on a regular basis, whether it's made in the United States or imported from another country, 
and regulated and those imports are tested and all of that good safety stuff from the country standpoint is performed. Republicans went on record in the House of Representatives saying women don't deserve that. Men don't deserve that for their kids. If you have a baby and you need formula for that baby, that's too bad. The Republican Party doesn't care because, after all, the only thing they actually have compassion for are the unborn. They don't care when you're born. They, they, they could care less. As a matter of fact, they could care less. Not that they couldn't. They could care less. It's possible. They're proving it. I'm saying it the way I mean to. They actually could care less. And they're going to show us how much less they could care. Because it's not a lot to begin with. Um, unless the baby has a checkbook and is a donor, then that's a different story. Um, or maybe the baby has billions of dollars and is trying to buy a social media company. And then it's okay to like, you know, pretend to be Republican or confess to being a Republican the whole time. I don't know how any of this works. I'm just here. So, yeah. So that happened. The Infant Formula Supplemental Appropriations Act was passed through the House of Representatives. And it is going to make sure that the baby formula shortage that we're ex experiencing, wow, that we're experiencing right now, due to the fact that one of the two manufacturers in the United States responsible for 95% of the baby formula in the U.S., Two of the manufacturers in the United States are responsible for 95% of baby formula in the United States. And one of them shut down. So that's why we're experiencing a baby formula shortage. And uh, we're seeing things like we saw during 2020 where people were hoarding toilet paper. People are hoarding baby formula. As a future father, I could not imagine not having food for my kid. And granted, the formula time is only a year, but yeah, the point is, is it's still a crazy time. I, I wouldn't want anyone, kid, to be in that position, let alone parents having to stress out about it, because I get it. Like, not everybody can breastfeed, and not everybody can pump, and not everybody can do things with breast milk. I understand all this. Anyway. We have such short-term memories that I'm going to publish this and probably be shocked about it in a couple years when I forget that this ever happened. So future me, hey man, um, what's up, dude? Hope the baby's good. Uh, hope you didn't have to worry about finding baby formula after all. But uh, yeah, in 2022, we couldn't even agree that baby formula shortages should be fixed up. I, yeah, I got, I, I nope. I don't know what's what's happening. Um, the other thing to address, and, and there were a lot of other things. The other thing to address is another bill that was brought up. Um, that was the gas price gouging bill. Um, I'm trying to look up the official name because, of course, you know, I'm only half prepared. I pull up the articles that I want to cite and then like I read through them and interpret them. Imagine that. And I'm like telling you how to feel. Oh, it's called the Consumer Price. Oh, excuse me. The Consumer Fuel Price Gouging Prevention Act. It was introduced by Kim Schreier, Representative Kim Schreier, a Democrat of Washington State, and Representative Katie Porter, a Democratic representative from California. And it would give the president authority to issue an energy emergency proclamation that would make it unlawful for companies to increase fuel prices to, quote, unconscionably excessive 
end quote levels. Um, I know it's not that specific, but it basically would. Yeah, it does a lot. It's 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 main goal or main purpose is to protect those people who need help with not having high gas prices, which would be, you know, pretty much all of us that don't have a billion dollars in the bank, because let's be real. If I had a fleet of cars and I had a billion dollars in the bank, um, yeah, there's a lot of math there, but suffice it to say a hundred cars, $50 a tank. I'm not going to break anytime soon, but I would go broke with uh, one car, $50 a tank, which is what we're putting in a little 2012 Honda Accord we drive right now. So I actually stopped to top off the gas tank. It was at a quarter. I'm sorry. It was at three quarters full. I shouldn't say it's at a quarter empty. It was three quarters full, meaning there was still three quarters of a tank, according to the gas gauge. And I topped it off and it took $25 to top it off. And gas in my area right now where I bought it was like 420, 425 gallon. So, yep, that, that was uh, just a little over six gallons. Six gallons of gas at a quarter tank. So, yeah. It was more like a third of a tank because I'm pretty sure we have an 18-gallon tank. But you know what? It's cool. Anyway, so the reason I brought up the uh, Consumer Fuel Price Gouging Prevention Act is, one, I wasn't able to find the bill number, which I will do as I'm talking. And the other reason is because this has been something that gets on my nerves um, when it comes to the way that the lovely um, Congress seems to work. Um, they vote on things, obviously, that are in their best interest. Um, what I'm more concerned with is that they don't really take into account sometimes the um, the inability of people to check where their finances are coming from. Yeah, I went there. Um, a lot of the Republicans and some of the Democrats do accept financing from oil companies. And oil companies, and financing from the oil companies, I mean that they get money from lobbyists who are hired these are people who are hired by large corporations to sway the favor of representatives in the house and members of the senate and they are really put in place by these companies they're paid a decent amount of money every year to go in and not bribe them but offer them campaign contributions and dinners and vacation stays and some cases maybe even stock and all of this stuff is in that shady ethical area where it sounds like it should be illegal because it really should be illegal but it's not because you know the government has it 
just set up just right that, you know, it's only a little, if you do it this way, it's okay. But if you do too much, it's not it. Yeah. It's, um, it's crazy. Um, the reason that I save the consumer fuel price gouging prevention act bill for last, it is HR seven, six, eight, eight, um, is because it's notable for one reason. Four Democrats voted against it with the Republicans. Four Democrats. Um, and I find that fascinating because one of those four Democrats is actually from the lovely state of Florida. Yeah. That was uh, Stephanie Murphy. She is a representative from the lovely state that I live in. And there were two or three others, uh, representative Texas, uh, from Texas, Miss Leslie Fletcher, uh, representative from Maine, Jared Golden, and a representative from New York, Miss Kathleen Rice. Um, they all voted against it as Democrats. And that's weird because, you know, like usually when Democrats do Democrat shit, they represent each other and they like show up. But in this case, that did not happen. Um, Miss Murphy represents the seventh district um, in Florida. And she is apparently um, run as an independent before and before 2016, she ran as an independent, um, and now she is not. Um, <laughs> the other reason that I'm addressing her is uh, because her name looked familiar, <laughs> and that's why I was say her name looked familiar, and she actually uh, represents the district just northwest of where I currently live which covers more or less the area just north of Orange County, County, um, including a part of Orange County that most people don't even know exists because it's very suburban, and all the way northeast towards Daytona Beach. That is the 7th District of Florida's House of Representatives District, 7th Congressional District. And, yeah. Um, so she's very close to home for me. This is this is my home now. And she's very close to here. And she has been in office apparently since 2002, from what I can tell. But it's, uh, yeah, no, no, she has not been in office since 2002. She's currently, um, she's only been in office since 2017. So she's been there for about four years. And she defeated the guy before her, who was a Republican. His name was John Mika, and he's not important at the moment. But Miss um, Murphy seems to think that by us passing the um, the law, that that would take some of the responsibility out of um, basically blaming blaming the um, gas producers for the problem doesn't address inflation issues 
according to her quote, says, I think vilifying one sector does not actually or doesn't actually address the inflation issues that my constituents are facing. Miss Murphy told ABC News, the possible net effect of this bill will be to actually strangle production at a time when we are desperate for additional production. Um, yeah, I don't really understand uh, that logic because by that logic, oh, there's just so much going on here. Um, there's there's a lot going on. Yeah. Um, the only other representative here in this area would be uh, Rep. Val Demings. Uh, she represents the other parts of Orlando that aren't currently represented by Ms. Murphy. Um, but Ms. Murphy's representation goes pretty far out now. Um, she's also not running for re-election this year. So uh, there's that. I think on her way out, she's trying to, you know, like blow the place up. Not really. But um, she, yeah, she's kind of interested. It's a very interesting situation that we're in here in Orlando. Um, just, just a lot, a lot of stuff going on. Um, yeah. So, man, this is uh, crazy. It's a crazy time. Whew. So here we are. Here we are. Talking about uh, the fun that comes along with uh, everything. We have uh, one party continuing to just obstruct at all costs everything they possibly can, even when they are about to win the biggest victory of their lives in a potential overturning of Roe versus Wade. They're continuing to obstruct. They're continuing to dig in their heels and insist that their way or the highway is the only way we're going to get through this. And I just can't I, I can't i don't i don't get it and again i know it's not for me to get but i don't understand how one party can possibly put a chain a chokehold or a stranglehold on the federal government and this is just acceptable like everyone's just like la 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 tiktok's fine la 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 facebook blah 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 just keep going like this is affecting your everyday existence. Like gas prices are as high as they are because of these guys, like <laughs> because of them, not in spite of them. It's because of them. They are enabling the companies to just do whatever they want. And they're claiming the free market. It's always the free market. The free market takes care of it better than anything ever could. Um, the same free market that occasionally gets products put out to market that kill people, make them sick cause you to crap your pants um yeah olestra i'm looking at you bud that was a fancy low fat trans carb whatever 
basically it was a potato chip manufacturer and I used the brand name, but I'm not going to name the name of the company because I do happen to like everything else they make. But uh, they used this stuff called Olestra. It was supposedly a refined cooking oil made out of, I don't know what, but let's just call it superpowered laxatives because that's what it is. And they managed to make some people pretty ill. And in some cases, uh, I got to learn a phrase. We started watching House this week on Amazon Prime. My wife and I have been watching through the seasons. And we learned about a condition called sphincter paralysis, which um, is basically when you can't feel your butthole. Anyway, um, and then maybe you like poop yourself. But anyway, the point is, is that Olestra was an ingredient put into potato chips, which made it out to market, which was on sale for months. I used to work at a grocery store where this stuff was on sale. You could get this stuff for months, months, plural, more than one, up to and including a year, possibly two. But you could get these potato chips that were supposedly better for you. And if you ate too many of them, that would make you crap your pants. Kind of like Haribo sugar-free gummy bears. If you ever look up the reviews on Amazon, apparently eating too many of those has the exact same effect. But I digress. The point is, is that the free market isn't here to correct everything. Because if the free market was going to correct everything, no one would ever get paid to work again. That would be how the free market corrects everything. Their idea is to take all of the money from all of the people all of the time and hoard it and keep it for themselves and not give it to anybody else. The only people that should have money are the people who have the ability to make money. And that would be the capitalists, the people that actually can make the money. But that doesn't seem to check out, does it? Because the rest of us need something. We need money. We need clean air. We need clean water. We need all of these things that are kind of hard to fund without money right now. Like, there are things that we should be able to do without money. But we can't. Can't seem to figure out how to do them. And then, more importantly, we can't seem to figure out why to do them. I mean, again, it's in my best interest that your kids are in good shape. Why would I want your kids to be hurting or wanting for anything? And I'm not talking about, like, luxury cars and, you know, 70-inch flat-screen televisions. I don't care about that stuff. I mean, I have myself a 40-inch flat-screen, which is pretty nice. I've had it for, like, three years. It's a lovely piece of machinery. But that's not what we're talking about here. You should have enough. You should always have enough. If you want to make extra to do extra, that's good. But then everybody's definition of what is enough varies. Some people say having life is enough. That's right. Just being born is enough. It's up to you to do the rest. I've said in previous podcasts, I am a product of the state. My brother, my sister, and myself, including my mom, we are all products of the state. If there were no food stamps and no welfare and no other government assistance programs, I am not sure that my brother, my sister, and I would have survived for as long as we did. And by extension, my cousin and my aunt, who we lived with for quite a few years while I was growing up, 10 years plus. I'm not positive that we would have survived. 
if it were not for government assistance programs. My mom and dad got divorced. My dad decided he didn't want to pay for anything. And then had the audacity to get mad when they wanted him to give all the money back. As though somehow my dad paying the state back for the money he didn't give them to give to my mom. You know what? There's a whole story in that. We'll save it for another time. <laughs> oh, it's, it's not hard to have empathy for people. It's not. But you have to first understand what empathy is. Empathy is like you understanding that you can't control everything, no matter how hard you try. And sometimes things happen. And where I go with that empathy thing is that I understand I used to live in Georgia. I lived in Georgia for over 10 years. There are people that live in Georgia that very rarely, if ever, come into the city. And I used to live in Augusta. And I wouldn't go as far as calling it a city, but it is a city in the sense that it is a densely packed community of a lot of people living pretty close together in a small amount of space. That is a definition of a city, in my opinion. Where I live now in Orlando is a larger city, but it meets the minimum requirements in both cases. Augusta was a city, but had all of these very rural areas around it. As a matter of fact, one of the stories I like to tell my wife all the time Aiken, South Carolina is uh, not even about 30 miles away from downtown Orlando, downtown Augusta. I am all over the map tonight. Aiken, South Carolina is not even 30 miles away. It's in South Carolina, so you have to drive east to get there. Um, but Aiken is actually home to a lot of the horses that race in the Preakness Stakes and all of those major horse racing, Kentucky Derby and all that stuff. So... Aiken is full of horse farms. And then the further north you go in South Carolina, the further away from Augusta you get, it actually turns into peach farms. That sounds right. Peach groves, peach tree plants, peach, whatever. Anyway, a lot of peaches actually come from South Carolina, not so many from Georgia. And then when you go back east, or excuse me, back west into Georgia, it's the same thing. There's lakes and there's land. And then eventually you get to the University of Georgia. And that and that's really all there is. There's, I mean, sincerely, there's maybe at best five major metropolitan areas in in Georgia, Atlanta, Athens, Augusta, Savannah, and Valdosta. Atlanta, Athens, Augusta, Savannah, Valdosta. Yeah, that seems about right. I mean, I'm probably missing one or two, and there's gonna be arguments and discussions about how you know like uh, actually that's not true because columbus georgia is also yeah i get it there's a there's an army base there you guys are great um i hear you uh but i wouldn't necessarily go as far as saying that you're bigger than augusta or savannah savannah and atlanta are the two biggest and it just depends on what day of the week it is before somebody will tell you which one's which but the point is anyway there's a lot of rural area out there. So the people in the rural counties, and rural areas, they have very tight knit families. They have very tight knit neighborhoods. They know everybody that lives around them. Odds are, if you're traveling through one of these areas like Waynesboro, Waynesboro is an amazing little town. It's so tiny. It's actually known as the bird dog capital of the world. It's where they have a lot of beagles. It's great. There's a poster when you get there. 
They have a Walmart. They have manufacturing. They have all kinds of stuff. But Waynesboro, Georgia might only have a population on a good day of about 75,000 people. And that's on a good day. And that's the entire area. And Waynesboro is tiny. Statesboro is another borough. And it's a little further away. And I'm pretty sure it's the home of one of the colleges there. Forgive me for not remembering because I'm not doing my research. I'm spitting off the cuff, bro. Um, but this is me just remembering things. Statesboro is another little college town. It's just it's south of Athens. Athens is home to UGA, University of Georgia. And Statesboro has another college there. I'm pretty sure it's in the state college system. And they are another small town. They're lovely. And they have a college. They're great. They're in the middle of Georgia. But there's all this empty space out there. And those are the people that are like, well, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, buddy. You can do it all by yourself. I mean, after all, I have. Well, if it wasn't for your great, great, great grandpappy who owned all that land, you wouldn't be living where you're living right now. And you don't want to move into the city because if you finish that statement, I might not be able to do my podcast anymore. So that's why I'm not going to finish that statement. Because there's a lot of reasons why they don't want to move into the city. And most of them are the ones that I don't want to address on this. Because they are incredibly offensive. They drive me nuts. I lived there for too long. And I heard it from people who lived in the city. And what's ironic, or not ironic, but what's interesting, most remarkable about Augusta, Georgia, is Augusta, Georgia has actually kind of annexed itself into another part of Augusta is one of those cool hybrid counties where it merged with the county. So it's actually Augusta, Richmond County, kind of like there's Miami-Dade County. And there's several of those throughout the country. But basically, the city and the county are the same. And Orlando and Orange County are similar, but it's not called Orlando-Orange County. Um, Orlando has a mayor and the county of... <laughs> the county uh, Orange County has a mayor, but they are unique in that they both are mayors over different things. And I'm going to stop mid-thought here for a second because I feel like there's a conversation I need to have. So I'm going to let the conversation happen and then I'm going to pick up right from where I left off about Augusta. I'll be right back. All right. Thanks for listening to me. Um, <laughs> I know exactly what I'm doing here. So Augusta has this problem where they fractured is where I left off. They fractured off. So you have Augusta, Richmond County, and then you have Columbia County. And Columbia County is home to a lot of different areas. Um, Grovetown being one of them. And then there's Evans. And then there's Martinez. But it's pronounced Martinez there. But I know it as Martinez. Because that's how it's spelled. The last name. Anyway, so you've got those three major areas. What happened is... People started moving away. When I moved down there, Augusta was losing its population to Columbia County because of the reason that I don't want to talk about, that I'm dancing around, that the white people wanted to get out of the county with the poor black people, but they don't realize that the white people are just as poor as the black people. So they're moving away and setting up their own poor communities, but not all of them are. And some of them have money. And there's actually a really interesting area um, Augusta is home to the National um, Golf Club, 
which hosts the something called the Masters Tournament every year, which don't even let's not just we're going to accept that that's the name of it because they're the masters of golf. All right. That's whole other. Yeah, we'll get into that. I have a whole setup for that and it's going to be uncomfortable. But you know what? The more I get my ancestry DNA results back, the more hilarious my DNA becomes. I just found out that I might be part Turkish. Who knew? But that's still not enough. I'm only at best 2%. I am way more white than I'll be anything else. But anyway, moving along. So, you got Columbia County. You've got Augusta Richmond County. And Augusta Richmond County has basically, it's, it's a city. It's massive. It has parts of the area that are unincorporated, but they are incorporated into the county. You can drive out all the way to the Augusta Regional Airport and you're still technically, excuse me, you're still technically in Richmond County. And the Augusta Regional Airport is about as far away as the uh, Orlando International Airport is from downtown Orlando, but it's still Orange County. It's the same idea. So you're in downtown Orlando, you drive to Orlando International Airport, you're in downtown Augusta, and you drive to the Augusta Regional Airport, it's about the same deal. You drive through a whole bunch of areas that have nothing. What's the point of this conversation? I hear you asking because I'm starting to ramble. The point of this conversation is that after living in Georgia for as long as I did, I realized that the South has these unique pockets of where there's a city, and then there'll be like 30 or 40 miles around that city where there's a whole lot of nothing. So. In Athens, Athens, Clark County. See, I knew I'd think of another one eventually. Athens is set up similarly to Augusta and similarly to Miami and their government structure. The government structure is only important because when you realize they're, they're a city, but everything around them is nothing. The people that live out there in that nothing, they don't understand what paying taxes does because, again, they have everything they need right there. And if they don't have it, they plan a trip into town and they go to the Walmart that's, you know, on College Lake Road or they hit up Walmart in town or they go to Target and they make their trips like once a month, twice a month. They just go in and out of town, but everything they need to do, they can do right there. They're not city dwellers, so they're working their farms or they're hatching their eggs or whatever the hell it is that they do out that way. And they don't necessarily have to come into town because their job, maybe in downtown Waynesboro, where they work at the convenience store, you know, the seven fifty an hour they make because grand great grandpappy's house is already paid off and all they're doing is working for property taxes and have a little bit of beer and watch the Georgia Bulldogs play on Saturdays during college football season. That's that's might be all they're trying to do. But the people in the cities, they're not trying to do that. They're trying to live. They're trying to have an apartment. They're trying to do things that they wouldn't normally do otherwise. And sometimes that means that they're going to be doing things that they're not entirely happy with. But the people that live out in the country, they're not worried about any of that. They're not trying to spare themselves from heartache or hardships or any of that garbage that the people in the city have to worry about because man you know all their bills are taken care of forgive me i'm moving some bags around my oldest cat is getting a little angsty 
when he gets a little angsty, I gotta provide him with places to sit. So he lost his stool because he likes to be within eye shot of me. And so now I'm giving him his stool back, and hopefully that'll be enough for me to finish what I started. So the idea is that the people that live way out in the middle of nowhere think they have it amazing because they don't have to defend depend not defend. They don't have to depend on the city dwellers. And the city dwellers think they have it amazing because they live in the city and they don't have to depend on the country folk. But in actuality, it's symbiosis. The city folk need the country folk to make the milk and eggs and the bread and the cheese and the trees and all the stuff that they get brought into the city. And the country folk need the city folk to buy all their shit so that they can both coexist in harmony. And that's the city mouse and the country mouse story. But, <laughs> but there's an added problem now. The added problem is actually the topic of today's episode is tribalism in this country. And that's why I led with the bills. And see, sometimes I don't hatch that until midway through the episode, which is great for all of us, right? Tribalism is what's what's really the problem and tribalism is in a nutshell short version you are with a group of people they are with a group of people and that group of people is not your group of people so they're different and that means they're bad and that's not at all how this works we are all american citizens last i checked and the ones that aren't american citizens the big collective we in that sentence the ones that aren't american citizens are actually trying to become American citizens. And if we don't allow them to become American citizens, they are going to have some issues because I, man, there's just so much. Um, it can't always be one party versus the other party. It can't be like that. We can't succeed in society if we are constantly pitting ourselves against each other hoping for a different result every single time. We also need to recognize that there are genuine concerns. The people who are, air quotes, coming into this country illegally, but that's not really a thing. Um, because I'm going to go back, 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 back for a moment, back. I grew up in a part of the country where it's home to this lovely statue. And just adjacent to this lovely statue was an island, had a wonderful name, was called Ellis Island. It was the primary place where people entering this country up until a certain time, maybe there was a war involved, we'll get there, would go through for processing to the country. And there were things needed like... <sighs> You didn't have to go through an immigration lottery system to get here. You basically could just pack your bags and come over to the country and say where you were from and present all the paperwork you had and boom, bada bing, bada boom, you were a citizen. That's it. That's all you needed to do. And then this crazy thing happened. Oh man, which war was it? Oh, which one does everything always go back to? Fucking World War II. Yeah. That happened. And during World War II, we panicked in this country and we needed people to prove where they were from. And could you imagine what people we were trying to exclude from coming to the United States during World War II? What ethnicity could we have possibly been trying to keep from 
entering our country during World War II. You know, the one with Hitler and the Holocaust. Who were we trying to keep out of the United States? Reminder, I'm saying keep out, not welcome in. Remember that. It's important. Yes, it was. Aha, uh -huh, it was them. The Jews, you're right. We were trying to prevent them from coming to this country. And when I say we, I mean the country I have lived in my entire life. The one that is professional at racism. That is the country I'm talking about. The United States of America. During World War II, we were preventing Jews from coming to the United States because we were afraid that Hitler was going to try to attack us and we didn't want to incite him or make him angry. So we waited as long as we possibly could until the Japanese bombed us in Pearl Harbor before we even fucking got involved. And this is the history of the world that we live in, the country that we live in. We didn't do shit in World War II until then. And I'm going to apologize for my language, but I'm a little angry. And I wasn't even alive at that time. How does that look that our country literally had to wait until we were bombed before the war came to our doorstep, before we decided, you know, maybe it's a pretty good idea to go and try to stop this thing. We waited. Our country, the one I'm in, the one that's like, say our name, say our name and we'll come to your house. Just say America. Just say it. You got oil. We're coming to your house. That's the country I've known. But during World War II, we weren't quite so hawkish. We weren't quite so ready to get out there. And why was that? Well, because there were some people in this country that really liked what Hitler was saying. They let him speak at Madison Square Garden. Is that a surprise? Did you not know that? It's real. I promise you I'm not making it up. He really spoke at Madison Square Garden. There really was a Nazi rally in the United States during the time when Hitler was rising to power. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? Uh, tribalism. It's not good for us. It's not good for any country, but it's definitely not good for America. We all have to remember that we are Americans. We are. We're all Americans. There's no other in America. There's no, those guys are bad. It can't be like that. And what we're hearing now, a lot more from a particular party whose name has been synonymous with Abraham Lincoln over the last, you know, almost 200 years now, is we are hearing that these guys want to label people as pedophiles and child rapists and I, I can't I just can't it's it's at a place where beyond where we are it's beyond my comprehension as to why the rhetoric has turned this direction like what is the point why are they so desperate what is the despair? What is the concern? What is the sense of urgency that they are freaking out about? And it can only be one thing. It can only be one thing because, again, we're really good at one thing in this country, and it can only be one thing. 
And the most fucked up part <laughs> of all of this is that you don't even need to look very far to find it. Proof that it really is the one thing. Fox News has a commentator pitching the great replacement theory on his program nightly, it seems, how all of America will be replaced by immigrants from other countries. Americans will no longer be American unless we protect our white everlasting race. How, first of all, enunciation was intentional. Power can show up in places where you don't expect it, and it doesn't mean what you think it means. That's a sticker you haven't seen in a while. I've also started to see a lot of the Black Sun logos lately. That's exciting. And I will remind you, I do live in Central Florida, where we've got people protesting at Disney on a weekly basis. It's magical. And I'm trying to bring a kid into this world with my wife right now. So, we have a situation where people are trying to rile up some undercurrents that are already here. Because again, you can't make something make sense if people don't want to accept ideology. If it was if it was something they didn't want to accept, they wouldn't accept it. You know what I mean? Like, the sky is purple. Most people can just look up and the sky is not purple. But if there was an ounce of truth to what was being said to them, they're going to turn it into a pound of lies. Like, <laughs> that's what they do. So the fact that Mr. Carlson can go on his nightly broadcast and he can make these speeches and then we have issues with uh, mass shootings in this country where an 18-year-old white kid drives to Buffalo, New York and shoots up a grocery store and primarily targets black people in the grocery store and only goes to the grocery store because he wrote a 300-page manifesto in which he cites the Great Replacement Theory as one of his motives for going to the grocery store. Domestic terrorism is a greater threat to this country than any other terrorist organization in the world. Domestic terrorism is a greater threat to this country than any other terrorist organization in the world, including Al-Qaeda, including ISIS. Timothy McVeigh was a terrorist. He was. The Unabomber was a terrorist. Both of them were born in the United States. This 18-year-old kid who went into a grocery store with body armor on was a terrorist. The kid who shot up the church in South Carolina was a terrorist. This is terrorism. You want to fight terrorism, but you're awfully fucking silent when the white kids are shooting up the colored people. Those black and brown folks are getting shot. You're awfully fucking quiet about it. 
don't have a whole lot to say then, do you? Tribalism. Because they're not white people, it's okay. Oh, my heart really goes out to them. I really feel for them. You disingenuous piece of garbage. You don't feel shit. You don't care. It doesn't stop you from scrolling through TikTok. It's not going to stop you from going and get your magical frappuccino. Because it's not happening to you. A police officer knelt on the back of a guy's neck for eight minutes and killed him. Man, that's really sad. That's really sad. A guy is selling loose cigarettes in New York City, gets tackled to the ground and suffocated, dies in police custody. That's also really sad. A woman's asleep in her bed at home and gets shot by the cops because they break and enter and shoot first and ask questions later in those instances. Man, that's an, that's unfortunate. A young man is on a jog through his neighborhood and three white dudes take it upon themselves to execute him in the middle of the street in the middle of the day. Wow, that's really sad. I could never imagine going through that as a mother. An 18-year-old white kid straps on body armor, loads up a couple guns, rolls into a grocery store, shoots the place up, and guess what? Let's slap the cuffs on him, boys. Treat him nice. He deserves it. Look at all the great he's done for the country. You never hear, oh, and the suspect was shot at the scene. You never fucking hear that when that happens. Nope. And then I can hear, I can hear it as I was saying. I can almost hear it in my head. Oh, but you're only covering the stories where the, the news, the mass media is reporting it that way. Okay, so find me a story where that didn't happen. Find me a story where a mass shooter got shot and killed. Go ahead. Find me. Oh, well, you know, if guns were allowed over, hey, hi. Yeah, I live in Florida. Guns are literally everywhere. When I first moved here, one of my favorite stories is the number of times I had people show me a concealed carry permit when I asked them for ID. Now, you may ask yourself as much as I did, what does a concealed carry permit even have relevance to a situation in retail? And the answer is, I still don't know. It's not a government ID. It doesn't have their picture on it. Here in Florida, concealed carry permit is basically like your vaccination record. It's not handwritten, but it's typed on there and it just says state of Florida permission to carry a gun. That's all it says. Why did I see three of them in the first few months that I moved to Orlando? That's more than I ever saw in the entire time that I was living in Georgia. As in, why are you flashing your concealed carry permit at me? Are you trying to tell me something? Do you think I fucking care that you have a gun on you? Because I don't think you understand. I don't care that you have a weapon on you. I don't. As a matter of fact, I am more in favor of the concealed carry than I am of the open carry laws. And the reason for that is you're not a cop. So I don't want you to have a gun on your hip. Why don't I want you to have a gun on your hip? Because honestly, out of sight, out of mind. If you're a responsible gun owner, you should be able to carry it in a little bag and I wouldn't even know you had it. You want to be safe? You want to be armed? You want to have your weapon on you at all times? Put it away. That's it. I don't walk around my dick hanging out. My dick has the power to create life. Oh, but I don't walk around having my dick hanging out. Uh, not a thing.
I wouldn't ask you to walk around with your gun hanging out. We are not a well-armed militia. We are not constantly at war with other people. You have a fear that you are constantly in need of a weapon. And that's fine. You want to have your weapon? I'm not here to take your weapon away from you. Just keep it away. Keep it out of sight, out of mind. I don't want to see it. I'd rather, if I was going to get shot by a weapon in someone's pocket, not know that it was coming. Okay? That's just me personally. You know you have it. You know where it is. You know it's armed. You know it's loaded. It's locked. You're ready to rock. Great. Keep that shit hidden. Keep it concealed on you. But the point I was trying to make about the concealed carry permit, I don't know why I saw them so much when I first got here, but I did. But people wanted to constantly remind me that they were concealed carrying. Okay, that's great. And it's funny because of the three people, two of them were women. Whatever the fuck that's supposed to mean. <sighs> Tribalism will bring us down. Tribalism is what is causing the fractures in the society that we're experiencing right now. And tribalism is where the problem is coming in. We are already starting to see tribalism manifest itself in the worst possible ways through the legal process. Not just with the Roe versus Wade decision, but with the new laws that are being passed in each state with regards to abortion rights. And that is going to be a huge problem moving forward because I thought we established this already. And even though I said it in the last podcast, Roe versus Wade is not a law. It's not constitutional law. So for people to be like, oh, it's totally a part of the Constitution. It's not because it's not codified in there, codified in there. So the idea behind it is if it becomes a law, then there are always going to be people who are going to work to overturn it because there are always people who think just like I think that you shouldn't carry a weapon on you at all times. There are always people that think that you shouldn't have the ability to, yeah, control your own uterus. Basically, you're not a, you're not a responsible adult unless when you get pregnant, you carry the baby. And there's no exceptions to that. There shouldn't be any, there should never be exceptions to that. That's not entirely accurate because sometimes things happen. And unfortunately, we can't control for every eventual outcome. And we want to make as many arrangements for people as we can. And we want to make sure that everybody knows that they have a right to treat themselves and their bodies as they want. It's basic human rights stuff, right? And then I can hear the, but when COVID was going on, you didn't give me the right to not wear a mask. Okay. So here's the thing, right? I'm not going to get you pregnant by breathing on you. At least last I checked, I'm not that amazing. Um, but I could have gotten you fatally ill, or I could have given you a disease that would have gotten someone else fatally ill, could have killed them. That wasn't a problem for you, though. Because that didn't affect you directly. I mean, again, if you caught it and you survived, then you were okay and fuck everyone else, right? None of that matters. Tribalism, man. It's it's a belief that collectively we are all better off together than we ever would be separately. And we're all Americans. And I know I say that a lot, but like, really, we are all Americans. And we need to all act like we are all Americans. We are all in this together. We are all designed to be doing this at the same time. 
working actively towards a goal to improve the country, not to make it worse. When it started, rich, white, landowning guys were the only ones who were allowed to vote. And the way we're headed, that's exactly what they want to do is bring it back to only the rich guys can vote. Only the ones with the stuff can actually cast a vote and steer the country. And that's going to be a disaster for everyone because those people are the ones that are kind of controlling the country right now and we're not doing so hot. So it's almost like maybe the people with the money have some ulterior motives in mind and they really want to do some things that are less than great. I don't know. I mean, after all, I don't make up the rules, right? I'm just here so I don't get evicted. Oh, man. I, uh, sorry for that that little two-second blip there. Yeah, that was me trying not to sneeze, but it didn't work out. I finally caught a little bit of dust and sneezed it up. So I'm gonna, yeah, man, this is just crazy time. Hold on one second. All right, a couple minutes after my sneezing fit is finished, and I'm going to attempt to wrap this all up. Sorry for the sneezing. So the overarching themes here about tribalism and where we're going and the path forward and all that good stuff, it's hard to encapsulate that an hour and a half or an hour as I give myself once a week or so. Um, There's a lot of things happening at once and some of them are good and some are not so good and Everything is happening in this country because we have the ability to fix it. If only we do. We have to take action. And having one side have more power than the other, we're all here as Americans. We're all trying to do the exact same thing. We all want to have good homes for ourselves and like, good schools for our kids and be able to take take care of each other take care of our families we just disagree on some of the ways that those things need to be done and disagreeing on some of the ways those things need to be done isn't the problem it's the fundamental discussions that we have about who's a human and who deserves rights and who deserves the ability to be able to take care of themselves and how much effort does someone have to go through to become a citizen in this country and it's all of that stuff that's the stuff that we need to kind of hammer out once and for all we need to have those long painful conversations about what does it mean to be an american what what rights and responsibilities are incumbent upon you when you are an American citizen, whether you're an American citizen through birth or you're an American citizen through choice. What does that mean? And how is it that we can continue to protect those rights and those decisions for the future generations? Because just because I don't agree with something doesn't mean it should be illegal. There needs to be a process in place. And we have a lot of processes in place for a lot of things that we may not agree with. The guns issue is one of them. I personally don't think everyone should be allowed to drive a car. That's why we have driver's licenses. 
I don't think everyone should be allowed to fish wherever they want. That's why we do fishing licenses and hunting licenses. And there are so many things that we regulate in this country on a daily basis. Nobody bats an eyelash at it. But when we talk about guns, yeah, I get it. It's enshrined in that Bill of Rights we talked about. But the Bill of Rights also enshrined other things that we've overturned, right? There's 27 amendments. We went over that in another episode. We've changed things before we can change things again. Some things need to be changed. Change is inevitable. It comes for all of us. If things just stayed the same all the time, it would always be day. It would always rain. Like, things need to change, and everything is going to change eventually. So why be resistant to it? Like, we have to do things. So the more important thing to do is we have to get back to the things that make us American. We have to stop pretending that the other side is out to get us or the other side is out to destroy the country. There's only one time when that's appropriate. And that is when the other side presents itself as Nazis. Which, I agree, has been happening a lot more. And as I've read before, and I will say it in this podcast, if you are at a rally and Nazis show up, you are a Nazi. There's no way around it. You have to leave. Or you have to remove them. That's a Nazi rally that you're at then. You're not at a peaceful, everyone's calm and talking about the situation rationally. You're at a rally with people who have proclaimed that Nazi ideals are their ideals. And if you're flying the Nazi flag, you are a Nazi. It's it's really simple stuff. Like, I had a conversation with a relative one time and he asked, when would the Nazis get a break? As though, A, they deserve one, but B, why do we keep bringing everything around to them? And the answer right now is because they're very relevant to what's happening. They keep popping up. People keep dragging them into the conversation. I don't want to bring them up. That's a part of history I'd rather not cover daily. It is something that we need to discuss, just like we need to discuss the slave trade, we need to discuss the... The Trail of Tears, we need to discuss the Louisiana Purchase, we need to discuss all of these things. I want to discuss them, but I don't want to constantly have these conversations over and over and over again, because that doesn't benefit us collectively. We are getting someplace. We are getting there slowly, one step at a time. But we have to do more. We have to do more to create situations where people feel compelled to fix situations and not do more to exacerbate issues that are already existing. We can't just continue to um, make people feel less than in this country. It doesn't help. It doesn't fix anything. 
it doesn't make the people who already feel less than any more than they currently are. Inclusion is very important. But inclusion means that you have to step outside of yourself for a second and recognize that someone else who thinks differently and acts differently than you is different and is okay to be different than you. But there's no room for intolerance. We can't tolerate intolerant people. And this is where the argument is, well, what about the tolerant left? Well, here's the thing. The tolerant left is very tolerant. And they can be tolerant. We're so tolerant that we actually kick people out when they've done wrong or when they're accused of doing wrong. We ask them to take accountability for their actions. And the last thing I want to cover is somebody who is currently incapable of taking accountability for his alleged actions. Because this drives to the heart of where some of the problems in tribalism in this country are coming from. This week, Mr. Elon Musk, owner, um, potential future purchaser of Twitter, and owner of Tesla Motors, and... Wow, that was... Oh, she is just... She's at 11 now. Um, potential owner of Tesla Motors and all of these other wonderful industries has come out saying that he is a Republican. And in one tweet, a day before another tweet, which will be relevant in a second, he said that basically the Democrats are going to come out and try to attack him. And that's why he's a Republican now, because he can no longer identify with what the Democratic Party stands for. And then the next day, Business Insider released an article saying that he paid a female stewardess of SpaceX $250,000 as a severance package to cover up the fact that he exposed himself to her and asked her for sex or demanded sex from this woman. And in a lot of fairly accurate uh, comments on the internet, one of them was, of course, he's a Republican now because that's the only party you can do that and still be relevant. I honestly am going to say I didn't know that Elon Musk was political. I thought he just was happy being rich. Um, and then he's also the first person to say that this is all being made political. And I'm like, but buddy, you're the one that made it political. You didn't have to say anything about party affiliation. So what does being a Republican or a Democrat have to do with you potentially propositioning one of your female employees for sex while on a flight and then paying her $250,000 to cover it up. Like we've seen that number before Donald J. Trump. We've seen that number before. We know hush money comes in many forms. I don't understand unless he's gearing up for something and he's just not told us yet. Unfortunately, he is South African, so he is ineligible to run for the office of the presidency. So I doubt that that's what it's about, unless he thinks he's got enough money to buy out Congress and redo that whole thing. But uh, let's not even entertain that thought. I, I'm not sure what is really going on with the situation with Mr. Musk. 
Um, but I do know that I am not a conspiracy theorist. I wouldn't even consider myself a conspiracist. Like I like to take information exactly as it comes at me. The problem I'm running into right now with the information exactly as it comes at me is that this man preemptively said, oh, well, if you hear anything about me, it's the Democrats trying to take me apart. And then the next day. <laughs> so almost seems like to me, it almost seems like he was reached for a comment and then chose to say, no, I'm not going to give you guys a comment. I'm going to tweet about it on Twitter. And then tweets about it on Twitter saying, oh, it wasn't me. Um, I didn't do it. I, I didn't. I would never do that. That's that's not my style. I am more of a more of a not doing that kind of guy. You know, I've been in this I've been in the the, the public sector for 30 years. I've never done this. Um <laughs> And I'm actually as I'm as I'm producing this as I'm recording, I am actually looking through um his Twitter feed right now. He is, um, the attacks against me should be viewed through a political lens. This is their standard quote or parentheses, despicable playbook, but nothing will deter me from fighting for a good future and your right to free speech. Again, someone else points out right to free speech. So somebody saying that he potentially took advantage of them, sexually abused them, exposed themselves to them. That's not a right to free speech because it's about him and their attacks. And it's and it should be political. What? I don't understand how any of this works. It's just Yeah, we'll get there. We will get there. I don't know how. I don't know when. But I do know that we will get there because we have to. We can't continue down this path and just hope for things to get better. I hope for things to get better for months, for years. And the hope that I have isn't enough. It's not actually fixing it. It's not actually making it better. So we have to do more than hope at this juncture. We have to take action. We have to change things ourselves if we're ever to uh, see a future where our country can have people in it that feel free to do the things they want to do and not have to be worried about you know, constantly looking over their shoulder 
because they're afraid that, you know, the people next to them are going to turn them in or make them run from their problems or run to another country or run to another city or run to another state. Because one of the things I started talking about was we're having this battle with the states and the states are setting each other up one against the other. And this this happened during the Civil War. This happened during the run-up to the Civil War. You would see a state pass a law saying that if a free state made it to their state, that if a free slave, excuse me, made it to their state, the slave ran away. Hypothetically, we'll use two states because they're really close together. If a slave from Virginia made it to Pennsylvania, that Pennsylvania would not extradite that person slave or free and would not expend any of their resources and they would not do anything to reinstate that that slave or that former slave or that person back to the state they were at and the ownership and the conditions of their living environment that they were in that if virginia wanted that slave back that virginia needed to come to pennsylvania and do it themselves but pennsylvania would not do anything to help them That's important because there's a law that just got passed in the state of Connecticut that says that the state of Connecticut will not expend any resources for anyone coming to the state to seek an abortion. So if someone in another state where abortion is penal, penal, penalized, penalized. Yeah, that word is always tricky. It's just like codify or codify. Penalized, penalized, where if they come from another state where abortion is penalized by, you know, the threat of arrest or jail time or any any kind of penalization any kind of punishment that the state of connecticut will not commit resources to transferring that person back to the state that they are facing the the problem in that that state would then have to send its own personnel to the state but they would not get help from local law enforcement or or any state agency at all kind of scary it's very scary because the last time we were in a situation like this that led straight up to states fighting each other and the problem that we run into now is that it's not as cut and dry as that and i'm sure during the civil war it wasn't as cut and dry as that either i'm sure that there are people that lived in the states that were made into the confederacy that did not necessarily agree with leaving but they also didn't feel like they could leave the union or the state that they were in because you know in the 1800s you can't just like pack your stuff up and go somewhere else at this point it's pre-motors like where would they go how would they even get there there's too much at stake for us to sit idly by and let tribalism take over There's too much at stake here. We can't afford to let people commandeer the government, the country, the everything for their own personal power and gain. And what's funny about me saying that is that is literally something I've heard from people who support the other side. So both sides are accusing each other of the exact same thing. 
well, if both sides have the same answer about the other side, then what is the problem? Like, where is the anger directed? Where is the anger supposed to be directed at? Like, who should we be getting upset with? Because if it's not Republicans doing it and it's not Democrats doing it, then who is it? And that is something we're going to explore another time. Who it is. Who is the one making us upset with one another? I have some theories. We'll get into that. But for right now, thank you so very much for listening in. I know uh, I've done another almost feature-length film edition of this podcast, but every time I get on a topic, I get rolling, and here we go. Um, Thank you again for listening in. I hope the ads that I'm inserting aren't too annoying. And again, my apologies for the ads being in previous episodes. There really wasn't a whole lot I can do about that, but thank you so very much for listening, no matter where you are listening in at, whether you're on the Anchor website, whether you're on Spotify, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Eventually, you might want to listen to me on Google Podcasts, and I'm on there, too. I just appreciate you listening, no matter where you are listening at the moment, because you are helping me achieve a lifelong dream, something I thought I was going to have to go to school for, and it turns out I just needed my wife to give me a cool little microphone and, uh, and a decent computer. So until we get back here again, um, remember that tribalism doesn't have to exist. It's up to us to undo it. And in the meantime, I'll see you again. One last little bit um, that I left out intentionally for the end of this. Um, I don't want anyone to ever think that hope is gone. Hope is not gone. Hope has not left the building. Hope is still very much here. Um, we just need to do better. That's all. And like actually do like act to do better. So whatever little step you can take registering to vote, um, getting someone else to register to vote, taking someone else with you to vote if they're in the same neighborhood, or even if they're not in the same neighborhood, take them to their polling place. When you go to your polling place, offer to drive them across town if they need that help. Um, making sure that they are on the registration that they're elected. If you're in a state where they can do mail-in ballots, offer to help them register for the mail-in ballot where allowed by law and offer to take the mail-in ballot to the mailbox for them or drop it off at the registrar's office. Again, where allowed by law to do the things that you can do to help make the incremental change that we're all going to need because we're all going to need to jump in on this over the next few years. We have to tamp this down before it gets completely ridiculously out of hand. So thank you again so, so much for listening. Thank you for my four cents in revenue that I've made so far, and hopefully um, I'll be able to give better news in the future. But for right now, I appreciate it, and I will definitely talk to you in the next episode, whenever that might be. See you around.